I'm joined by Sarah Lee, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. You've probably heard of the Democratic Socialists of America, the left-wing radical faction we most recently discussed in episode 302 for its financial problems. But the DSA is just a relatively small part of a worldwide movement for Marxist-inflected everything leftism led by a former Greek government minister and having current and former heads of state among its current and former leadership, the Progressive International. Joining us to discuss the left of the international left, its ties to America, and its broader influence is Robert Stilson, who wrote a four-part series on the Progressive International for CapitalResearch.org. Robert, welcome back. Great to be here. So we had you on not long ago, about a month ago, to talk about what's going on at the DSA. Talk us through how your exploration of the DSA led to the Progressive International. Yeah, so the DSA, obviously everybody remembers um, towards the end of last year, they got a lot of attention for their anti-Israel activism. Um, And so I was researching that, writing about that. But in the course of doing that, I noticed that they were also promoting the fact that they had joined this coalition I'd never heard of called the Progressive International. And they were saying, you know, the DSA has been admitted to the Progressive International. I think this was in October um, when a lot of other stuff was going on with the DSA. So I started looking into it and I realized that in the same way that the DSA is sort of, I called it the left of the left of the United States, this progressive international is sort of like the left of the left internationally. Right. And not only, um, did they have the DSA as a member, but they also had, you know, a whole list of other, uh, American activist groups that I had, heard of that we had researched uh, as part of our work at CRC and that they were members too. And then I looked at the leadership and you know, there were not only American members, uh, you know, prominent American members of, of their uh, like governing council that I'd heard of, but like major international political figures. And, and there's virtually no information out there about it. So I decided to look into it and write about it. And um, it, it really is, it's about it, in the same way that the, you can think of them as, as sort of the, the international, equivalent of what the DSA has become in the sense that whereas the DSA's political spectrum right now kind of ranges from, you know, socialism to communism, that's sort of what the progressive international does at the international level too. So, and I guess for our listeners, you know, who might be wondering, okay, well, fine, but this is all international. This isn't our problem. You know, there have always been foreign countries that have been socialist to communist. Why should they be? Why should they be concerned? Why should why should listeners be aware of the progressive? Yeah, I mean, it's it's inter- for our purposes. It's interesting because of the American members, right? Like it it it's it, it'd be one thing if this was just an association of like Cubans and Chinese and communist countries coming together to 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 talk. But 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 it's there are prominent American activist groups: the Sunrise Movement, the DSA. We just talked about. You know, brand workers, uh, union affiliated, they're, um, you know, groups that are funded by some of the biggest foundations in the country, the Ford Foundation, for instance, that are members of this coalition. And it's, it's always interesting to me how few steps it takes in leftist activism to get from, you know, what you might call the mainstream liberal left, the stuff that's, um, you know, sort of everybody's heard of the big foundations and the activist groups that get the mainstream media coverage, how few steps it takes to get from there to like extremism, basically, 
And I think the Progressive International illustrated that really well for me because it's the same groups that are members of it that are that are. Can Can you give us a little example of that from the Progressive? Yeah, International? I mean, you, you you see what so just a background for folks. This it grew out of essentially the the Bernie Sanders twenty sixteen presidential campaigns. Um, Sanders twenty sixteen campaign led to something called the Sanders Institute, and they. Um, had a joint call. I think it was back in like 2018. They joined a, a European political movement to call for all progressive forces of the world to unite. They come together into this thing called the Progressive International, and they issue this 25 point manifesto, basically, and 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 it's and that's like the unifying document for the members or whatever. And you dig into it, and it talks about stuff like you know, capitalism is the virus and we want a revolution to transform society and reclaim the state. And, you know, it says winning elections is not enough to fulfill our mission and decolonization is not a metaphor. I mean, really, really, really leftist radical stuff. And it's, like I said, it's, it's has members and leaders that would be, would be household names, you know, depending on where your household is located, I guess you would say. Uh, Sarah, you got questions for Robert? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was particularly, having read your your four-parter, um, interested in in two two areas that, that really s- stuck out to me. One you've already kind of touched on is the, the, fu- the funding. Um, I saw the Tides Foundation in there. Um, there's Arabella Links. I think it was New Venture Fund. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about that um, because – we know Tides and Arabella and Ford, which I think you mentioned. Um, we think of these as, um, you know, foundations that are involved in charitable activity. Um, but you do draw this this um, sort of line between the funding of some of these groups or how they how they are able to fund a group like Progressive International is deeply tied to capitalism, which is of course antithetical to what Progressive International says they. Um, they believe. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. And then secondly, the council, (laughs) I thought it was extremely interesting that the council members representing the U.S. um, And you you mentioned this in your piece, and it was so interesting to me. The the heavy hitters, the, the leaders of, you know, great political movements in other countries, leaders of countries, um, at least, you know, high up in leadership, are represented on this council. But in America, it's people like John Cusack and Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about why you think that is as well, to the extent that it even matters. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So those are two two good topics of discussion. I guess we'll take the funding one first. So so the, the Progressive International, you know, there's not much information on who or what funds that that institute, so it's an organization. It, I, I think it's an unincorporated association, is what they call it. And then there's a, there's an entity based in the United Kingdom that's like the official legal entity. It says it's funded by its members. Its members are the ones where the funding connections are really interesting. And I tried to tried to bring some of those out in the article. You know, you get these American nonprofits that have joined the Progressive International, presumably because they agree with its activities, its mission, and its it's extremes. What what are what are some of those of some of those nonprofits? Yeah. So the ones, the American ones, you've got. Um, you know, I listed them in the article. They're the Arab Resource and Organizing Center, which is a San Francisco-based um, activist group. It's a project of the Tide Center, which is, of course, one of the biggest um, left of center 
uh, activism and funding networks in the whole country. We mentioned brand workers. Code Pink is is obviously one that's going to be in there. That's it. They're a mainstay of um, what you probably would call anti-American agitation. Um, they've been around since since the Iraq War era. Um, there's a group called the Debt Collective, which is kind of interesting. They're another f- fiscally sponsored project of a, of a of a of a big foundation called the Sustainable Markets Foundation. Um, they had 22 revenues, uh, 2022 revenues of, of 42 million dollars. You know, they they oppose all forms of debt, just basically an anti-capitalist activist group. They're funded by the Ford Foundation to the tune of over a million dollars. Um, they're founded by they're funded by two hundred thousand from George Soros's foundation to promote open society. We talked about the Democratic Socialist America, the DSA. Um, there's the Sunrise Movement, which is might, might be the most well known of the organizations here. There, um, there's they, they've got a five hundred one c four arm and a five hundred one c three arm. Their c three arm is founded is funded by some big cha- uh, foundations. Um, the Hewlett Foundation, the Packard Foundation. Yeah, Sunrise Sunrise Movement were like 2017 to 21's hard edge of the environmentalist movement. Yeah, and and they've they've branched out beyond environmentalism to to everything left leftism basically. I mean, they're abolish the police types. They they are you know uh, remake society. Yeah, I, I know I know in my piece, kind of at your at your. Uh, target spotting uh i mentioned them in my piece that sort of defined everything yeah. leftism because they're union jobs for all you know you mentioned defund the police like it it really is the everything leftism. yeah the, so they're the big one they're the, the sunrise democratic socialists of america code pink debt collective these are the ones people might have heard of there was an interesting group i'd never heard of called the post growth institute which they that one was kind of interesting i was like yeah, what they, <laughs> <laughs> they see economic growth as a problem and, and, and they're not big, you know, they're, they're, so they're um, only a few hundred thousand dollars based on their the, most the, recent. The Malthus- the Malthusians we will always have. <laughs> so how, so how do these explain for people how this links to capitalism? How are these foundations getting their endowments? Like how does that, why is this a hip- hypocrisy? Cause it yeah, is. Well, the, the post growth institute's a good example there. I mean, they're, they're, they're the members of the progressive international. They're, um, oppose economic growth, but the biggest funder I could identify was the Novo Foundation, which is controlled by Warren Buffett's son, Peter Buffett. And of course, Warren Buffett is—I mean, that is that is capitalism personified in that man. And and even if you just take the Ford Foundation and and the Hewlett Foundation and some of these um, other ones we've mentioned that are funding some of these members, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, Ford, Ford Foundation is the classic. You know, you have this foundation that's created by capitalism. It gets taken over by uh, the managerial progressives who think they can fix the world and then turn socialist. I mean, our our late colleague Martin Wooster made it like his sort of number one example of donor intent being violated. Yeah, and it's not just that the endowments were built through capitalist success, but but they're sustained through that too. I mean, all of these foundations have their money invested in the most capitalist hedge funds and offshore investment accounts. And even if they're in just, just, you know, just normal public equities funds, I mean, they are perpetuating themselves from the groups, from the fruits of global capitalism. And then they're using that to fund groups that would join the progressive international. So, I mean, that's the, that's the unavoidable hypocrisy of it all. And I've written about that before multiple times. I mean, that's just, it's, it's something you see every day with this stuff. 
But you know what it brought me to mind, and this is sort of, you know, inside baseball stuff, because I'm about to talk about something we've talked about here internally at work. But uh, not long ago, we were laughing about, I think it was the DSA, having no understanding of a budget, right? Like they were so confused by what was happening. And I'm like, okay, so let's say they, these Progressive International succeeds in its goal um, of eradicating capitalism. How do they fund themselves going forward? I mean, the state also has to rely on capitalism and taxpayer dollars. So what's, I mean, taken to its logical conclusion, how do they survive? I'm not sure there is a logical conclusion. Um. (laughs) I mean, mean, you look at some of the, you know, some of the members or former members of the, of the, what what is it called? The governing council? Yes. The, the leadership, the leadership thing, like, you know, a couple of them are former Latin American. I think one actually may still be sitting Latin American heads of state. Yeah, one is still sitting. Gustavo and Petro. From, yeah, Gustavo Petro is still sitting, but like Rafael Correa. And then was Eva Morales also on there? It was, or was it, it was his, his vice? vice president who was who was himself like a Marxist yeah. guerrilla fighter back oh, in the day. Yeah, no, they're yeah. all they like, they, um, you know, and, you know, the, the sort of arch case of that sort of Latin lefty ideology is, of course, Hugo Chavez, and we've all seen what's happened to his country. Yeah, and it's... Well, yeah, and it's <laughs> happening here because they're exporting people out of their country. Yeah. And, so and as long as we're, we've moved on to, to their leadership, I mean, this was some of the... Sarah mentioned this. These were some of the most fascinating parts of the whole research. I mean, Fidel Castro's niece is on the governing council. You know, she's a member of the Cuban... I guess you would call it the Cuban legislature. I mean, it's the the the, the rubber exactly the one party. You know, only the, yeah. Jeremy Corbyn, the former Labour Party leader in the United Kingdom, is is a sitting member of the governing council, and he's a major figure in international um, far left. And let me just stop you and clarify something. What does the council actually do? Is it like a board of advisors, they're, or do they? Yeah, actually... they're like the board of directors. Is the how I understand it. There's like three leadership organs, and they kind of draw from each other. There's the council, which is like the the overarching strategic direction. Like I think of them as like the board of the organization. And then there's like the exec. They call it the secretariat. It's like a it's like a exec. It's like a day to day operations. Executive. It's an executive board. If it's if it's like sec- secretariat is used a lot in the UN and it's like the people who are actually running the, they, they take the direction and they run it's the, the day-to-day thing. operations folks. And then there's a third one it's called the cabinet, which, which is like an executive organ that brings together those two groups. But, but the big names are found in the, like the names people would know would be found in the council. And I think of that as like the board basically. Yeah. So they're advising, they're the, they're the figureheads. They're the ones that are trying to draw people in and say, this is a good thing. Obviously in the U S the names that I mentioned, those are entertainers. It's all, yeah. I added them up and Sarah, you, you mentioned this too. And this is really interesting. Like they're, um, the, so the progressive internationals website, it lists 66 current and 55 former members of the council. So it's a lot of people and they're from all over the world. And there were 11 of those people were Americans. So of those Americans, four were academics, four were nonprofit activists, two were entertainers, and one was the CEO of a, of a tech startup that I hadn't heard of before. And you contrast that with the international members, which like both of y'all were mentioning, 
heads of state, current and former heads of state, major leaders of political parties, people that are not just household names in their own countries, but household names internationally. And I don't know what that exactly says, other than the leftist move. The, the, what you would say is that the the leftist movement in the United States is concentrated in the areas you would think it would be concentrated in: entertainment, nonprofit activism, the stuff we write about, um, <laughs> academia. Whereas it's more maybe politically stronger in other countries, and that's the that's the only thing I, I can think-, think from that. I'm going to comment yeah. on that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's I think it's the 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 hard left, the hard not left. the you know not what we think of the sort of old fashioned liberalism that's been around America since Woodrow Wilson, but the the hard left has historically been a political non-starter in the U.S. You know, George McGovern gets blown out in 1972. Um, you know the. The, uh, you know, Bill Clinton gets elected partly because he repudiates the hard left. Uh, And, you know, while there have always been a couple of socialist or socialist aligned sort of hangers on backbench congressmen, it's never been the dominant driving force in a major political party. Whereas in Europe, going back to 1945, there's always been, you know, a, a good chance that an openly socialist political party can win the majority, win the prime ministership in any democratic election in Europe, pretty much. Yeah, and I, I think that's right. And I think that that makes their focus on the U.S. and Israel, because I know you write about that as well. There's a particularly, particularly pernicious uh, sort of dis- disdain for Israel. But the U.S. is also in there in terms of their sort of focus and what they're trying to accomplish. I think that's why those are the, those two countries are their main focus, because it, it is difficult to sell the hard left here. And so we're the sort of last bastions of it. So progressive international is like, that's who we have to take down. And then it's very poorly well, thought and out. It's also, and it's also, <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's go back to the Cold War, you know, the... U.S. the U.S. government and the U.S. alliance system is was is and was the bulwark against authoritarian socialism, and sort of who stands left from that alliance system? Well, it's the U.S. and Israel, and to the and, you know in NATO to the extent that NATO aligns with the U.S., which sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, and the so you have all throughout the international left. I mean, you saw, so there were big demonstrations in Brazil last week in, uh, from the opposition party, the, in support of former, former president Jair Bolsonaro, and they had a bunch of Israeli flags. No way. Well, because, because, uh, the sitting president, the leftist Lula da Silva hates Israel. (laughs) I was going to say, isn't one of the council members a former sort of, you know, right-hand man of da Silva? Yes. Yes. One of the, one of the, one of the council guys was chief of staff, I want to say. Oh, current current, right-hand man. I think so. Yeah. Current right-hand man. Um, he'd been in and out of Brazilian politics for decades, I think, but yeah. Um, that's, you know, we, we touched on this, the anti-Americanism, and the anti-Israeli activism is per, permeates everything that the progress, progressive international. I mean, you can get into 
examples of of how thoroughly they hate the United States and Israel, but it it stands out so conspicuously. You know, I did a search on their website, and I typed in just just in the search bar of the Progressive International's website. And I just typed in Israel, and as of January, it turned up forty three different posts since they started posting in May twenty twenty, which works out to like almost one a month for a country that represents like a tenth of a percent of the world's population. And then you, I did the same thing for India and China, and I added those together. The same number of posts on their website that have the word India or China in them, which is a third of humanity right there, is the same as Israel. I mean, there's an obsessive, there's an obsession with the country. And this is something you see with the DSA. This is something you see with the far left in the United States. And it's, it's, there is a, there, there is a unique obsession with Israel that I think this this progressive international collection of far left organizations really um, really embodies. So yeah, see, I th- I have a I have a hypothesis that they that the the hard left goes after Israel because they're because they're associated. I, I think with us, I think the, that's with the, part United, with the yes. United States. That do you think that, it's also that that's the one country in a region of the world that would completely destabilize and be very very easy to control if Israeli Israel were not there. I think that's part of it too. I, I think, I, I think it's a, I think a big part of it. I think if you think, if you take the progressive international type approach to the world where the United States is the malignant font of all the world's evils, where everything bad in the world emanates from the free market imperialism of the United States. If you take that as your worldview, then you expand that to, okay, they're my enemy. The friend of my enemy is also my enemy. And then you bring in Israel, and then you bring in NATO, and, and you ha- and 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 Israel. It's a small country. It if if you look at the world the way that the progressives do in the decolonization framework and the frankly racialist framework, it's quote unquote out of place. And you know, there's also a longstanding history of straightforward anti-Semitism and Marxist yes, thought. And so, which is something that right now it, on Twitter, that's a debate that's happening. And you'll see young leftists saying, no, 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 uh, Marx wasn't an anti-Semite. And people are like, uh, you need to read yes, your was. God because yes, yes he, he was. was. <laughs> the anti-Semitism thing, it's, it's impossible. I think I mentioned this in the article. It's like you read the language that's used even in the aftermath of October 7th. You can't you you can't ignore the anti-Semitism thing, in my opinion. It's just it's you you just can't get there without that being a motivating factor. And, um, you know, they put out something called the Gaza Resolution. The Progressive International put out something called the Gaza Resolution, which um, does exactly what you what you think it might addresses exactly what you probably think it does, and it talks about like the false equivalence of violence between the colonizer and the colonized, and it, it's there's. Read read in totality, and I think I wrote this too. There's there's no way to read it other than an attempt to justify terrorism, and in in when you're talking about October seventh, when you're talking about terrorism, you mean the cold blooded murder of civilians. And I could not read that statement any other way. So I'd invite anybody who's listening to go read it and tell me if you you know if you can read that any other way. I'd, I'd be curious. <laughs> so then, what does that say about? I love John Cusack's movies. I'm just going to go there. Um, I actually liked that stupid Rage Against the Machine song when it came out in 1991 or whenever it came out, 95 or something. 
but of course I was young then I'm older now I can separate the art from the artist what is that what are we supposed to get and Cornell West is also one of the Americans on the council Noam Chomsky what are we supposed to take from that that do the do you think that these people who are regarded as I mean, maybe not Cornel West or Noam Chomsky, but certainly John Cusack. He's just an actor. He's got his political opinions. He's a leftist. Do you think he knows what Progressive International is about? Or do they also need to be educated on these things? Well, he should have known what it was about if he was going to join the council. Uh, Right. I, I don't know. That's the point I'm making. It's probably, it's almost obvious that he does, right? Yeah, yeah you, ha- you have to assume if he's in a leadership role that he that he does. And and again, like these, and I think it, you know, it goes back even to the Soviet Union that the, the propaganda that went out about American influence in the world uh, is still a core part of the international left and the American hard left. And, you know, that's how you get the situation that you have. You see this even, you know, I mentioned this in, in the first part of the article about even their approach to the Soviet. I mean, you go to their website, go to the Progressive International's website, and up till like last week, front and center on their homepage was a, was a picture of Lenin, right? Like it's these, it, it, they, they lionized the Soviet Union as, as specifically for its role in counterbalancing American influence in the second half of the 20th century, right? The Cold War, you know, multipolar world was good because it uh, provided a counterweight to the United States. And it, it, this is the worldview that they, that they approach this from. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the American radical left and the international left believe the wrong side won the Cold War. Frank, they just flatly do. And, and they see the collapse of the Soviet Union as, as a tragedy, right? Because that. So the, and by extension, the rise of China as a good thing. Yeah, you'll see a lot of praise for China. I mean, I mean the, the the classic countries that get when you know when you look at the the international far left, you know, the anti-American left that I've been writing about, the classic countries you see get praised are Cuba, Venezuela, Iran, and then maybe one step below that being China. And you can definitely find a lot of praise for China on their website. You know, even stuff that's written by communist. Uh, Chinese officials uh, talking about China's success. I think I mentioned that in the article too. So I guess close us out. You know, what what should we take away uh, from the profoundly depressing story of the progressive international? <laughs> I mean, the takeaway isn't that this stuff is out there. I think anybody knows. I mean, anybody's going to assume that this kind of stuff is out there. The takeaway, I think, and this is what I tried to highlight, with the connections to the American activist groups and nonprofits and their funders that aren't associated with this in the public eye. Nobody, a few people who, who wrote about the green new deal and the sunrise movements activism in the green new deal were writing about that. It was a member of this, this crazy, you know, far left international organization. It just doesn't take that many steps to get from these, you know, so-called mainstream funders and activist groups to this sort of stuff. And that's, that's the point I was trying to make. Would it matter if they were aware? That's the question that I'm afraid of the answer. I mean, I guess that, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'll, 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 I'll play, I'll play an optimist for the purposes of the podcast. I mean, sometimes you get, you know, liberals 
you know, who have broadly liberal views and want to keep, you know, and want, you know, economic policies that I don't want. But if you, sh you know, they have an issue that, uh, that where they break from this everything leftism, especially on foreign policy. I mean, you see it with, you know, some of the, some of the uh, Jewish liberals who have become alarmed since October 7th with the way that the far left has reacted in the United States. Uh, and, you know, I, I would think that there are some people out there, maybe not a majority, maybe not, you know, a, maybe not even a, particularly large faction who would associate with these groups thinking about just the issues that they're that are on the front page of the website so for sunrise movement the green new deal uh, who might say wait 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 you know maybe i maybe this is a step too far maybe i you know maybe i need to find another way to promote environmentalism than writing along with these people who are also you know militant anti-israel activists I, mean, I think that's. I think certainly that's true for would be true for for some people, and and you, you would hope it would be true for the big institutional foundation funders too. Like they, that once, they, I guess more so than the general public. You know, part of my reason for highlighting the the funders, the foundation funders of these groups, was to, was to implicitly question whether this is the sort of thing that charitable private foundations incentivized through our tax code really should be funding, just even in their own judgment, right? So that was that 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 was that's part of my hope too. I think. Well, and I think we saw what that what can happen when people are made aware of sort of the the, the man behind the curtain with, with the university. Um, you know, the billionaires saying, "You know what? I'm I'm stripping you of this donation mm -hmm. this year." Yep. So it's a it's a good question to ask, and maybe you guys are right. Maybe pe people don't know, and if they did, it would it would matter. All right. Well, Robert, before we let you go, is there anything else you'd like to promote to our listeners? Um, I'd like, you know, anybody who's interested in this, please go read the, the four-part article. It's been up on our website for a week or two. Um, but um, yeah, thanks for having me on. All right. Well, thanks again to our colleague, Robert Stilson, for joining us. We will include a link to his four-part series on the Progressive International in today's show notes. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week. Mm -hmm.